0: Welcome to a little bonus podcast episode that is as much as a surprise to me as it is to you because I only just decided I was going to do this Um, but I wanted to make sure that my end of year blog post was more accessible and available for people who didn't want to read a massive chunk of text and so rather than reinvent the wheel and start kind of doing videos and IGTVs and all that sort of thing I figured I'd record it and I would share it here with you. So if you would prefer to read rather than listen to these end of year thoughts, this is more or less exactly the same as what you're going to find on the blog. So you can find the link to that in the show notes in your podcast app. So on with the end of year review. So for the last three years, I have published an end of year review. They've always been some of my favourite things to read of other people's and also my favourite things to write. A chance to share everything that happened behind the scenes and that kind of made up the whole year. So things that weren't always necessarily kind of shared on Instagram or, or shared on the blog or anything like that would find their place in the end of year review. This year however is a little different. This year there are too many untied loose ends, too many still misplaced hopes and too much not processed that it just isn't the right time to share my usual warts and all review. I did think though that I would share some thoughts that are arising here at the end of the year as I reflect on the changes that I've been making. And actually I think this has worked out better than usual. Reflections on word of the year. Most years I set a word of the year and most years I tend to forget about it by the spring. This year, although I wasn't always completely conscious of it, I'd say that I certainly felt, or feel, the reverberations of my word here in December more than any other I've chosen in the past. My word for 2020 was powerful, and my intention for picking this word was to externalize less and instead connect with myself embody my innate power and kind of emanate it out into the world to really use the wellspring that was already within me. So if you'd actually like to read more about how I chose that word, the link for that was in the show notes and on the blog. So when I think back to January 2020 me, I can see all the pure intentions, and I can't help but smile at all the ways she didn't expect to be powerful this year. In many ways, I've been more powerful than I'd ever thought would be possible. I faced things in my personal life that I had ignored and explained away for years, making the decision to end a long relationship as I'm about to enter my 30s. Although I hadn't expected it, this was the purest form of the intention behind my word, finally listening to the truth within me and believing in my own power enough to stand behind it. In my work, I have also embodied and emanated from my central truth, both in the way in which I've diversified about what I talk about, and more on this later, and in the way in which I've taken ownership of my working day. There are also ways in which I have felt less powerful than ever. I have felt small in relation to others and unable to broaden my reach and message at a scale that others have this year. I have felt, at times, out of control of how I make money. In the last quarter of the year, I have also felt my power ebb away as I allowed my hope and well-being to depend upon the whims and decisions of others. On the whole though, I must be fair to myself, I have been pretty fucking powerful this year. Sorry about the swears, I do try not to swear here but I think the emphasis is appropriate today. At the start of 2020 I didn't realise just how much and in how many ways I needed to reclaim my power and I will always be grateful to myself for being strong enough to do so. This was one word of the year that will vibrate throughout the rest of my life. Moving away from marketing in my work. This is something I noticed recently as I was categorizing a blog post and realized that I couldn't remember the last time I tagged something in my simple marketing category. The more I thought, the more I realised that marketing hasn't been nearly so central in my business this year, not just in the blog posts I've been writing, but in what I share in my newsletters and in the products I create. So the trail, for example, is only about a third, if that, marketing. It hasn't necessarily been conscious this year that I've moved away from marketing as a core topic, or rather it wasn't intentional. To be honest, I'm not exactly sure how I feel about it as I write this now. I still love to delve into strategy, discuss content and campaign ideas, problem-solve a channel plan. This is the stuff that comes easy to me and you can sit me down with someone and I can just do it. I know that when I've had a marketing focus call with someone, I feel really enlivened afterwards. Marketing and my approach to it has always been the foundation of Simple and Season and is what has got me to where I am today. And yet, clearly something has pulled me away from it this year. All my ideas, all the things I've felt drawn to write and create have been more on the experience side of business. About Busyness, stuckness, decision making, expectations, self-trust. Maybe this is because I've wanted to create content that is more personal and less how-to and therefore I've written about what is personally affecting me and what I'm experiencing more. Mostly, however, I think this is a natural maturation of my work. As more time passes and as I go deeper... I understand what really makes a difference it's easier to believe that if you just know how to do marketing in inverted commas then all your dreams will just come true and you'll be totally fine but the truth is that's not what's going to get you doing it you can have all the marketing knowledge in the world but if you're out of alignment with what you truly want if you are blocked by unhelpful work beliefs if you can't trust yourself to stay the course then you're not going to do it and so maybe my job actually is to provide what you really need to do it writing a book a month or so ago i did a call out for questions for a q and a podcast episode Prior to that, over the summer, I shared that I was writing a book proposal and one of those questions that was submitted was asking about that process and whether there was any news on it. And when I read that question, I recoiled because there was no news. There is no news. I sent the proposal to some agents and got one really lovely rejection and several automated rejections there was no success to share and therefore there was nothing to share it wasn't until last week that i caught myself here and remembered that there being no success to share meant that there was everything to share i've always talked about what happens when things don't sell or work or you know go well and i suppose that in this case i still felt ashamed that it hadn't worked out yet While I think the concept of the proposal is really great and it's a piece of work that I'm really proud of, I do feel on reflection that it's a concept for a really great course. I went into the proposal writing process focused on creating a marketable product, which I did, but it's not a book. It lacks the human heart and central story that is what sets a book apart from course, or a digital product. I had also set myself a deadline to get the proposal done by September so I could get a book deal in the new year. (laughs) I will never not be astounded by my own optimism. So while I am proud that I put together an 18,000 word proposal in five weeks, I am also now realising that a ticking clock is not in service of the book I want to write. I don't want to write a book to say I've written a book, I want to create something that is meaningful to people. And if I'm going to do that, I need to take my time to let the story reveal itself. In a conversation with my friend Jen the other day, I realised something else. As I look back on a year of upheaval and towards a year of untetheredness, I feel a need to accomplish something. My brain wants to complete something in 2021, God damn it! and the book is the thing it picked. As Jen oh so gently pointed out, as is her way, this is a trap. Something to distract me from the journey I'm supposed to go on to recover myself over this next year. I have noticed a tendency in myself to externalise my fulfilment and hope into projects and people. And I, and the eventual book, deserve better than that. When did I start prioritising comfort? Following the great burnout of 2019, I radically shifted my working habits. I was brutally efficient, doing only the most effective tasks I knew would kind of track on to the goals that I wanted to achieve. I said no to interviews and to opportunities and I stopped pitching. I lowered my financial expectations My focus was on creating ease and space, and very rarely did I work more than four hours a day. But then, later in the year, I met someone who was fresher into self-employment than me, probably about nine months in, and they were so excited by their work, so consumed with it, getting so much pure pleasure from it. Yes, they were working a little too much, but the pure love of it was infectious. I remembered the part of me that had loved doing the work for the act of doing it not just because of what it would get me. I felt wistful as I observed this person all sprightly and enthusiastic while I creaked and moaned about my business aches and pains like a pensioner. I realised a few things. First was that my frames of reference, the people in my personal life against whom I measured my ambition and activity, were very much not representative. Compared to them, I was a Duracell bunny, but in real isolated terms, I had become quite lethargic. Second, my fear of burning out was holding me back and contributing to the lethargy by giving me an easy excuse to just do nothing. I was no longer protecting myself from burnout and instead prioritising comfort over joy. Third, I remembered that the point of cutting down hours and reclaiming space was to be able to do other things, read, make, bake, decorate, garden, adventure, none of which I was actually doing. The space I'd created was just a vacuum. Finally, and most importantly, I realised that I had lost a small but important part of myself, the go-getter. I had loved to work, to plan, to scheme, to feel the momentum under me, to hit publish and feel accomplished. My new friend was reflecting back an old version of me that I'd left behind somewhere and suddenly, having noticed I'd lost her, I desperately wanted back. It had been a long time since I started a project because I wanted to, and it's time to bring that back. The relief of surrendering to a clean state and a new life. Now feels as good as time as any to tell you that I now know I won't be able to stay in my lovely house, as it is not affordable for me to do so on my own. For so long, this was something I gripped onto, the desperation to stay here. For a while, it was even a reason to stay in the relationship. But when the decision was finally made for me, the sadness was dwarfed by a different emotion, relief. I was relieved that I wouldn't have to scrabble every month to make the bills, relieved that every penny I saved wouldn't have to go towards maintenance, relieved that I wouldn't be tied here physically, unable to take trips or live somewhere else if I wanted to. While I had feared that losing the house would be losing everything, it actually feels like an opening up. Now I have options this was the dream house? Past tense. And that dream doesn't exist anymore. It flickered and extinguished at some point earlier in the year and in the last month I have relinquished it from my sweaty paw and let it go. This realisation had a knock-on effect. If that dream has gone, which others are no longer true? How many old dreams am I carrying around that can't or don't need to? exist in this new life. It feels exciting now to surrender to a completely clean slate, to sweep all of the assumptions about who I am and what I want off the table and to start over again. If I was building a life from scratch, what would I want it to be like? What do I want to reclaim from old lives? How can I reimagine this life? All of this is to sit with, experiment with, and come to terms with over the next year. That is where I drew my end of year post to a close, but for you listening I thought I'd include a little bonus within the bonus. Part of this post was going to be about my shift from one to one to one to to many this year, but when I started to write about that it ended up being a whole post in itself. So in case you missed it on the blog, here is how the shift of my business model has gone this year. One to one to one to many and back again, question mark. At the beginning of this year, one of my main goals was to be appointment free by the end of it. I no longer wanted to do one-to-one work and so my plan for 2020 was to phase it out to the point where my calendar was gloriously empty and all my time was my own. This is something I was very open about and I shared the detail of in my newsletter and on the blog and I got lots of questions about how it was going along the way, so I thought I would sum it all up here. First of all, a little backstory. I was objectively successful at one-to-one. I made good money, enough to raise a house deposit in a few months. I was booked up, I had a waiting list. Throughout 2018, I had gone to work, establishing myself as a marketing coach with interviews and workshops and podcasts and courses and clients, all of which led to the great burnout of 2019. By 2019, I'd lost sight of the point, of the joy, and I couldn't get it back. I wasn't showing up for clients in the way that I wanted, I wasn't able to squeeze out any time for me, and I didn't know what I'd even want to do with that time if I had it. I spent much of the first half of 2019 feeling I was living a half-life, as if I was under curfew and while I could walk around in the world, I couldn't really be a part of it. I spent the second half of 2019 actively figuring out what the problems were and how I could start to feel joyfully alive again. One of the problems, in inverted commas, I isolated was that my calendar was full of client work, and that a made me feel trapped and inflexible, which in turn is out of alignment with my core business value of freedom, and b made me feel anxious and heavy for days beforehand as I worried about being enough for my clients. The solution, obviously, was to change my business model. To move from earning most of my money from one-to-one services to earning it solely through one-to-many offerings. I had already been creating and launching courses for a few years, so it was really a change of emphasis and a re-education project to make people want to learn from me instead of talk to me. And now, here at the end of 2020, I have mostly achieved what I set out to do. This year, only 13% of my income came from one-to-one clients and the rest came from courses and kits, the trail and the odd bit of sponsored brand work here and there. I have spent many months of this year appointment free as existing clients cancelled or postponed due to Covid and I spent that time living the vision I had for my work back in the great burnout, sitting in the garden, writing with nowhere I had to be. I'm also immensely proud of the work that I've created this year and feel like I have definitely unlocked greater possibilities for the future. It feels at this point I should say, and then I lived happily ever after and closed the book. But of course, in new circumstances emerge new problems. Doing business is like whack-a-mole. You think you've dealt with one deep-seated psychological issue and then up pops another one. And for me, this has been around launching. I've done product launches before, of course, but somehow this year they became more problematic for me. I suppose because now the success of these launches were all I had before they were an added extra on top of one-to-one income rather than all my income. I actually enjoy planning launches, it's just the implementation that I struggle with. I clam up, my ideas drain away, I get kind of low mood and generally want to do anything but show up. Selling one-to-one came more naturally to me as it was really just showing up regularly with valuable stuff and modelling the experience so people could make up their own minds. The time restriction of a launch began to feel like the same anxiety I'd felt around client calls. There are two big lessons that I'm taking from this one to one to one to many journey. The first is not everything is going to be joyful. I started on this quest to do nothing that didn't fill me with utter joy and saw anything that wasn't intrinsically joyful as a problem to be removed. But you know what? Sometimes you just have to do the stuff. You have to do the launches and the sales because it contributes to a greater overall joy. I'm now starting, with my evergreen courses especially, to look at how I can sell one-to-many products in a one-to-one way. The second lesson may be more of a surprise. Surprise. I have worked with clients who were desperate to leave behind their old career and start something brand new, only to end up missing it and circling back to it somehow in their new business. Very often, when we're unhappy in our jobs, it's the context of the work that's the problem, not the work itself. So it's not that you don't want to be a designer anymore, it's that you don't want to be a designer at that company anymore. Throughout this year, I've done the odd one-off call where I've been asked to, and I'm now starting to finish up with Postponed Clients, and I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying the delving into problems and ideas. I'm enjoying the camaraderie of working together. I'm enjoying the impact a conversation has on someone's life. I am realizing that it wasn't one-to-one work that was the problem, it was the context of that work. Having a calendar so blocked out, it felt like my time wasn't my own. Having a couple of calls a month over the last quarter has felt invigorating. I've noticed how the ideas have flowed easier and my confidence is growing back even though I didn't know it had gone. And so I am, cautiously, cautiously, looking at reintroducing one-to-one to the business model in a less intensive way just making space for a few one-off sessions a month and six quarterly check-in sessions. And so the whack-a-mole goes on. I think the only conclusion here is that there is no done. No point at which you can look at your business and say, everything is perfect and I never need change another thing. Your business is an extension of you and it flexes and develops and evolves just as you do and that is what makes it beautiful. And so here ends our little bonus episode here at the end of 2020. I hope you've enjoyed it. I hope that you do go over to the blog as there are links to some other posts that might kind of contextualise this a little bit more and give you some more food for thought. And I would like to also take a moment to say thank you so much for listening to the podcast this year, reading the blog if you have, reading newsletters if you have. I really, really appreciate you and I look forward to seeing you in January. Until then, I hope you grow a song.